0: Hi, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Jeremy Daggett, director of Harding University in Latin America, and a full-time missionary in Idaquipa, Peru, and someone I have had the great pleasure and blessing to call a friend for the last 15 years. Jeremy, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. So glad to be here. Thanks for the chance to be with you. Sure thing, man. Um, Jeremy, we've known each other since about... 2008? That's right. That's 15 years, right? I went into ministry because I heard there wasn't going to be math, but <laughs> that was that was what it was. My first interaction with you, oh, it was really funny. Um, like In undergrad, I took Greek because I thought it would be fun. I was not a Bible major, and some people forget that, and I just thought, hey, this would be fun. My justification for it was I was a history major, and biblical Greek was a historical phenomenon, so... <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> why not do that? so i I was in my I was actually in my first graduate program there from a Master's of Science in Education, um, you know, back in a previous life where I thought that I was going to teach high school, high school history and social studies. And I was in my seventh semester of Greek, which was a seminar on uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. That's right. It was me and a guy named Scott and uh, the venerable Dr. Paul Pollard, and then I heard, oh yeah, there's this other guy who's going to sit in on our class. He's had Greek 1 before. He taught himself Greek 2, and he's going to join us for Romans, and I'm sitting here thinking, what?
1: (laughs) Well, so just to jump in, I Greek 1, yes, was my first semester. I taught myself Greek 2, but Greek 3 wasn't offered in the spring semester, so I did take um, with the late Dr. Neller, I took his First Corinthians class. So oh. First Corinthians was my second semester, and then to fulfill the three semesters that I was required as a as a Bible and, and ministry major, um, yeah. Romans was my third semester.
0: <laughs> it's just so wild to me because you know like people who are fans of the podcast. Thank you, by the way. Uh, they know that I teach Greek one and Greek two, and it's just wild to think. That you taught yourself, <laughs> you taught yourself Greek too, and then <laughs> jumped into a First Corinthians class. I also had that class uh, at a different time with uh, with Dr. Naller, um, who I I think is is largely responsible for a lot of my decisions. Um, goodness, I could I could go on and on about you know just even that one year of Greek with Dr. Neller where I had um, Gospel of John uh, for Greek three, and then First Corinthians Greek four. Um, there were just a number of things that he said to me in and around that time that I had no idea at the time that they were going to be so impactful. And yet mm-hmm. here I am, years later, having followed advice that he gave me long before I even knew it was going to be relevant for me. you yeah, know the Lord works <laughs> in serious ways. <laughs> but the fact that you you did all that <laughs> and then, for your third semester class, <laughs> jumped into. What was the equivalent of my seventh semester? <laughs> I was uh, I was rightfully wowed by by this by this new kid, Jeremy, in uh, in Greek seven for me and Scott, and we had a great time. We had a great time in that class. It was a lot of fun. Um, Jeremy, talk to us about sort of what you're doing these days. I mentioned that you're a director of one of Harding University's international programs, and that you're also a missionary in Arequipa, Peru. Tell us a little bit about how you got there. You know, if if you need to start all the way in the beginning, you know, uh, maybe not uh, as far as, you know, Gospel of John in the beginning, but if you you want to start off with the sort of how you got to where you are to help us get to know you, because I think that might give us some clue, some background as to why you wrote this uh, very, wrote on this very interesting topic, Theology of Travel.
1: Yeah, let me start off just by giving a little bit of an idea of what we're actually doing here in our equipa. Um, and then I'm happy to sort of connect some dots in my origin story that might even show how <laughs> I got to that one semester in 2008, where I happened to be taking five different classes in five different languages, because that was a very unlikely uh, thing to happen um, just oh, yeah. a few years before that, so... <laughs> Um, So, in, I moved here with my wife, uh, Katie, uh, here being Arequipa, Peru, the southern part of Peru. Um, We call this the deep south uh, here. Hey, hey now. (laughs) Hey, now. Way further south than wherever (laughs) y'all are there. I think Corpus
0: Christi is halfway between (laughs) Houston and Mexico, and that feels pretty far south, but I'll give you that, right? Peru is arguably deeper south. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, and now we take our, our student group, the study abroad group that we work with three minutes out of the year to Ushuaia, which is in Tierra del Fuego, uh, Argentina, which really is the southernmost city in the world. So I guess that's, you know, we can get yeah, true deep south status. But, that counts. Um, we, so we've been here for nine years, and our our work in terms of sort of ministry and discipleship is geared around um, a house church that, that we meet with, um, trying to connect with neighbors, families. I play soccer with several different groups of, of men. Our family does a, like a kids club. We've done marriage classes, and the idea is to to share faith and to share love of neighbor in a very religious city, so Arequipa is um, sort of historically, at least the last 500 years, predominantly Catholic, um, and what we aim for is sort of to connect these questions of, of faith in Jesus of Nazareth with loving neighbor, <laughs> and yeah. um, and so that that's, that's what we try to do in just different sorts of, of organic uh, ways as we make relationships, and as we've had a couple of kids and have grown as family, that has sort of um, shifted in different ways. We have also a, a small nonprofit that is dedicated to sort of this um, active participation in the kingdom of God, um, sort of bearing fruit here in the city. And so we we have a library program with public schools where we try to improve reading comprehension with with teachers. Um, I know that's an issue worldwide, but especially in Peru. Um it's very uh, it's 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 this very sort of deep-seated issue that connects to all sorts of other things. We have a microfinance program where we do sort of micro loans and personal finance as part of this bigger picture of like holistic well-being for some marginalized communities. And um a few years ago, we were asked uh, to um, start directing Harding University's Latin America program. Mm-hmm. And um, so that is now sort of this third uh, leg or, or big piece of, of what yeah. we do. It enables us to stay, live and work, raise our family, share faith in our equipa. Um, but it also gives me a chance to do something I love, which is to, to teach uh, university students yeah. and Sort of guide this um, this this journey of faith and asking questions about God and the world and our our place within God's
0: diverse world um, as as we're here and so yeah. uh, we we love doing that. Um, hey, can I can I hop in real quick and ask you about uh, something that you mentioned? I when you mentioned Aricaipa, I was about to ask what sort of religious background is typical to find there. You answered the question before I was able to ask it that. You know, predominantly a Catholic influence, but for the last 500 years, um, similarly in Corpus Christi, though not for as long, um, <clears throat> we are arguably not in the Bible Belt. Um, you know, and like my wife and I grew up in Nashville. You know, I, I like saying the buckle of the Bible Belt. We both, you, you and I, and and my wife, and your wife too, right, Katie? She, she you know, the four of us went to Harding University. We also um, overlap together at Harding School of Theology in Memphis. I mean, that's all very comfortably in that in that mm-hmm. uh, part of the world, part of the U.S. known as the Bible Belt. But in Corpus Christi, we're not in that, you know, that kind of uh, you know cultural, you know, or er, geographic region. But there is still a church influence due mm-hmm. to the Mexican cultural heritage of mm-hmm. South Texas in general and Corpus Christi in particular. And it's largely kind of a Catholic influence. Um, that means for us, somebody grew up Catholic, and that can mean any number of things, right? You know, regarding someone's participation in, in church and and whatnot. I suspect it may be similar in Aotearipa as well. But you know, it it's not it's not so difficult for me to start a conversation about faith with someone because they. Have learned growing up that you know it, it's important and you know it it's it's good and it you know it it's helpful for families and, and things like that. Have you noticed in Atakiba that 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 you know that Catholic heritage can benefit your ministry? Has it has it frustrated your ministry at times? I'm just I'm just curious, real quickly, if we can kind of diverge on that for a second.
1: Yeah, definitely. So some of both, right? Some of both in terms of helping and uh frustrating. Um, in terms of helping, just in terms of having um conversations of faith, it is really easy. I can speak with a complete stranger in the in the back of a taxi or, or something like that um about faith. They see that I'm not, you know, native to Arequipa, Peru. And is it that obvious? Uh, <laughs> It is somewhat obvious, <laughs> even though I speak Spanish really well. But yeah, it is yeah. obvious, and um, they they say, "Why are you here?" And sometimes, especially when I'm feeling like having a good conversation, I say, um, "Well, I'm 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 here searching for God," and they'll say, "Oh, hey, like, dangle that hair
0: there, yeah."
1: You know, and and then, you know, and then that just opens up in a, a conversation of faith, where it's frustrating, I never knew um I would live in a place because um, I'm not a shy follower of Jesus, right? And so I never knew I would live in a place where um saying I was a I'm a Christian would be such a a challenge in the sense that here the sort of when when we start to have these questions of faith, they say, wait, are you a Catholic or a Christian? And I think, well, like what you know, what are, or they say, <laughs> are you Catholic? And I'll say, well, in the, you know, in this original sense of the word Catholic, being part of the universal, you know, Christ's universal church, like, yes, absolutely. Little but C, not, little C
0: Catholic. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a Catholic in the sense that, that, you you know, you're thinking of, but here, because of the way church has grown, um, they, a lot of people, even just within that Catholic sphere will think of any other sort of, um, branch of of Christian faith as being all about what it prohibits. And so they'll ask, well, what are your prohibitions? You know, is it drinking, dancing? There's missionaries that have come through preaching that you can't go to movie theaters. You know, there's there's a wide spectrum of things. And so they'll say, what church do you belong to? And I'll say, I don't belong to a church. I follow a dead guy from 2000 years ago that some people would say was raised to life. And they'll look at me and I'll say, Jesucristo. <laughs> and, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> what I've tried to do- a is a provocative I mean, way to put it. <laughs> I just try to open up conversations of faith as opposed yeah. to sort of what the general culture here does, which is like, yeah, we all believe in God, but we're going to put everyone in their boxes and know where they go. And sure. so I yeah. to throw off some of those labels and have actual enriching conversations about faith. I try to- I try to live in this gray area where people can't quite place me. Um, even like in in a couple of hours, I'm um, doing a funeral here, and it's a, a Catholic family, but who the daughter of of the man who just passed away uh, has been part of our house church for years, and and her mm-hmm. daughter now has been too for the last year. And instead of asking a priest to do this like uh, this funeral, they they've asked me, and so I have this way more liturgical uh, funeral sermon sure. that I would have grown up with in churches of Christ. Um, but I think we, we try to build bridges of faith and connection. And while I don't um, dispute differences, very clear, distinct differences in branches of faith, sure. yeah, I never want to sacrifice um, what we have in common in the person and you know Savior, and Messiah, Jesus. And so yeah. um, it's been an interesting learning experience for sure, and definitely um a lot to a lot to say about all of that
0: yeah jesus had a, a similar way about him the gospel of mark really highlights this right um you know with what new testament scholars sometimes call the messianic secret where it, particularly in the gospel of mark jesus will heal somebody or he will do something that is according to mark evidence of jesus's you know status as the messiah as god's anointed one and then Jesus will immediately turn around and say, hey, don't tell anybody about this. All right? Just kind of right, in, in layman's terms, Right? just be, kind of be chill. Right. <laughs> don't don't go off telling everybody because he I think you put this in a good way. He chose to operate in sort of that gray space where it was difficult for people to pin him down on things because a common way of viewing the Messiah, not the only way, but the common way of using the Messiah was going to be this, you know, this warrior. Who would, um, you know, in in a um, you know, in a very militaristic fashion, is going to kick out the Romans, restore the kingdom to Israel, and so on. And, and Jesus is, yes, the Messiah, but not that kind of Messiah. And so I, I like how you're doing that. It's like, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to give you the opportunity to pin me down, so the conversation will end. You've kind of cleverly uh, worked your way around that. I like that, Jeremy. I- I'm also not surprised, knowing what I know about you, <laughs> that you would would be not slippery, uh, shrewd, innocent as a dove, shrewd as a serpent. Does that is that fair? Would would you yeah, would you just, accept that?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. It's fun to have conversations of faith, and especially from a U.S. American sort of cultural standpoint, where it's just not. Common, or it's not just sort of like, well, we you can't dive into sort of conversations of faith. I I warn guests and students when they when they come here that you know it, it's it, here. It's okay. It's okay to have conversations of faith to be open about that. I think it. You know, we could do a lot of good just being open and and yeah. about conversations of faith wherever we are. Right, but. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things I do with students who come is I get them set up two or three with different neighbors and friends, families who host them for an evening tea. And I tell my neighbors, I say, hey, this is a Christian university. Um, Whoever, whatever students you, um, you know, you have into your home, ask them about their faith. (laughs) And and I warn warn my students that they're going to be asked that. But I, I do that because these are, you know, um, Catholics and agnostics and um, Adventists and evangelical Christians and some who are part of our house church and others who aren't.
0: The, the people um, there in Atikipa. The, right? the people who are yeah. hosting my students. Not particularly students, yeah, but,
1: although some might be. Right. But, but I've, um, I've had conversations with all of them about faith right and so it's it's like there's this baseline where we've been able to talk about it and so they can just ask the students and now i also like i don't tell my students to pretend that they don't have questions or doubts right i'm not asking everyone to be some you know uh in your face evangelist i'm just trying to sort of lower the bar of this like pressure we feel when when talking about faith and that's one of the things you identify in in peru or in this um Especially at least historically, Catholic context, there's there's just more openness to um, at least starting that conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, real real quickly, I'll and then we can get back to kind of how you got to where you where you are. Um, years ago, when we were still living in Kentucky, um, there was a a favorite burrito restaurant, and I won't name it particularly because you know the, the manager went above and beyond. Uh, you know his his duties to be generous to us, and so I I don't even know if he's still there. But you know, there was our there's we had a favorite burrito restaurant, and uh, we were there one time. Pete, our our now uh, son who's in second grade, he was he was a baby, and like he was you know eating rice and chips and stuff like that, and just as babies do, right? There's stuff everywhere. You were thinking seven years later. There wouldn't be as many crumbs on the floor. Au contraire. <laughs> but um after we finished, you know, like I, we cleaned him up, cleaned up the high chair. And then like I got down on hands and knees and like was scooping up the you know a hundred or so grains of rice underneath his chair. And the manager came over to us and was like, hey, man, you, you don't have to do that. It's like, ah, I mean, we made the mess, you know, I I clean it up. It's it's not that big a deal, and he's like, no, I mean, like that's uh, cool. I was like, we'll do it. And I had the opportunity to say, you know, I've I've always found value in treating other people the way you want to be treated. So we're we're going to clean this up. And it's just that little bit, right? It's just a, a, an appropriate way because I had no, I, I just met the guy. Right. I had no way to know, like, if I if I say, well, you know, Jesus says, is that. Like, how is he going to react with that? But if I can plant this little seed here very intentionally, well, it turns out that I was just really impressed with, you know, how a very small gesture of just like us cleaning up after our son that, you know, throughout the next like five years that we would go like, you know, once every couple months or so, whenever he was there, we'd get a free burrito or, you know, like he would compost chips and queso or something like that. It's like, Man, it's like he he didn't have to do that, but that little thing there was impressive to him enough. And like I got to talk to him throughout the rest of the time, and you know, bring up bring up faith every now and then. And so I, I hope he's doing well. But it was something very small like that, where it was it's not threatening, it was not aggressive, it was socially appropriate, but it was enough of a gentle little push to where I I think I gave him something worthwhile to think about. So anyway,
1: Michael Frost. Um... Missiologist from Australia has this little, it's really more of like a little workbook. Started off as a workbook, and it's now this little book called Surprise the World. But he He says in that, that the first step to just being more open and sharing your faith is living questionable lives in the sense of living lives that provoke questions Ah, I like that, Um, like getting down on your hands and knees to clean the floor, or in my sense, just living in a, in a, you know, in another country um, where I stand out or I look different, but it just, it provokes these questions where then there's natural ways to, um, to say a word, a word of faith, if if that's a piece of why you're doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I like that living questionable lives. Oh, that's <laughs> that's so that's so mysterious and intriguing. <laughs> I really like that. It's a good
1: little workbook. I mean, it's less than 100 pages. It's it's really um, small, but is it has some you know these different habits for missional living and stuff.
0: yeah. While you are telling us a little bit more and uh, getting us past 2008 <laughs> in your journey <laughs> to where you've gotten to. I'm going to write that down. So I'll be sure to put that in the description of the episode. Uh, and Michael Frost, is that right? Yes.
1: Yeah. A, a former intern said it was Michael Scott, um, but it was actually uh, Michael Frost. <laughs> we were doing these uh, Instagram videos, of, like talking about the book that we were reading, and we just lost it when she said Michael Scott. It was great. It was
0: great. All right. Michael Frost, at what? Um, and his book was called Threat Level Midnight. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, surprise the world surprise, surprise the, world. the world great all right jeremy mm-hmm. uh fill us in with after 2008 uh kind of how you got to got to where you are and and what prompted you to do this uh project that we're going to talk about here in just a moment
1: yeah so I was um I was born and grew up in Italy and happened to be a son of missionaries and grandson of missionaries who had also been in Italy. And when I was eight, we moved from Italy to the United States. Um, I spoke Italian and English. I was very comfortable in both cultures. But you fast forward um, another eight years. And I was the most ethnocentric, bicultural, bilingual kid in the world, I think. You know, you would think that, like, with multiple cultures, multiple languages, you'd be open. I was closed. I did not want to learn any other language. I really Mm -hmm. had no desire to travel anywhere except for Italy, you know, the motherland. Yeah. Um, I and and uh, we took a group of Harding students to Italy on um, call it a like a campaign or a, a mission trip where we're visiting different churches and trying to encourage and help and um, of those, there were three um, who were um, part of this Walton Scholars Program at Harding, um, where they take students from a lot of different um, Central American countries mostly, and they're given scholarships. And so uh, two were from Mexico, um, one uh, woman from Guatemala, and then two others who spoke Spanish. And as I watched them sort of grow and interact through Spanish into Italian, it just oh, yeah. this curiosity in me. And, um, that, and that was um, right after my junior year of high school. And so coming into senior year, I had never taken a Spanish course, but I was starting to sort of dabble because of uh, friends that we had had. And so my mm-hmm. senior year um, of high school, I just started worshiping with a Spanish speaking church in, in Searcy, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. So I just started memorizing things. I just started participating in sort of a Spanish-Italian blend until I got to Harding and started actually formally um, studying Spanish. But that opened up this this world for me. Um, And I think just this really important sort of curiosity that started to break me out of my own ethnocentrism, right? And so that first summer, I went to Peru on a sort of a missions research trip, Uh, one of my uh, professors and mentors, Bill Richardson uh, was part of sort of had this vision of taking students to Peru and Bolivia, where uh, missionaries from Churches of Christ had sort of spent less time in or a fewer number had had gone to. And so I, I went to Peru and to Bolivia. And that, again, just sort of opened up my world. And there was so much hospitality on the folks that interacted with me, especially early on when I was speaking about maybe 50-50 Spanish and Italian as I slowly... <laughs> Um, work that out of my system. But at at Harding, what that turned into then was um, realizing, then when I, for my theology studies, once I started studying Greek, I realized, oh, it's not just Spanish that comes to me sort of maybe more naturally because of um, multiple languages. Um, it worked with Greek too. And so like we mentioned by the end of first semester, just for my own curiosity, I had finished the book on, you know, the first year Greek book and just dove in and ended up, I had a scholarship at Harding. I was like, I have, you know, I have these classes I, I can take. Um, somewhat for free. And so that was why in my senior year, I I took a year of French, and then I was studying Hebrew. And so that that semester with the five languages was because I had one sort of Bible major class in English, and then sure. a, a Spanish, a Greek, Hebrew, and then French class. And that for someone who was so ethnocentric and had no desire, um, just a few years prior, um, to me, that just is sort of the signs of, of hope that God can do all sorts of, of things uh, within us to open us up to a difference and diversity in the world, and what we have to learn.
0: Yeah, uh, real quick. Um, <clears throat> I am familiar with the term ethnocentric, um, and when I hear that term, I kind of bristle, right? Because I know what in the academic world I know what that means um, for persons who uh, might not, you know, run in the in the academic circles that we sometimes find ourselves. Uh, you know, what's a what's a quick kind of working definition of ethnocentrism and why might you say that that's something that we should maybe be careful about and and overcome?
1: Yeah. So first, let me say what I'm about to say about ethnocentrism. I think it's normal to grow up ethnocentric. Okay. Now, it, it, so just because of, we're usually sort of sheltered in our own cultural bubbles. So ethnocentrism um, basically means you believe your own culture is best all right. And again, so that's why it's normal. Like we, we believe sort of what we've done and our cultural rules and values because it's normal to us. We believe it's best. And then we evaluate other cultures based on our own cultural values. Right. Yeah. And so um, I, I haven't seen anything wrong with this yet, Jeremy. <laughs> didn't tease him. <laughs> Right. So so it's it's very common for US yes, Americans yeah. to believe that, you know, the USA is is God's gift to the world. And I'm very thankful for um, my connections to the US, my family and all of these things. Right. Um, but we have issues in the US and there are certain things, whether the culture is Italy or Peru, where I am, or Zambia, where I have to teach, uh, take a, a group of students, wherever, you um, Every culture has things that are positive and things that are negative, right? And it's normal mm-hmm. to sort of to to only understand the world through your own culture. But what sort of my theology of travel, one of its starting points is that we grow up sort of ethnocentric in a world that God intended for uh, diversity and for interacting um, through, um, you know, God's diverse creation. So yeah. ethnocentrism—the problem isn't that it's wrong in all forms; it's natural, but it limits sort of this life as God intended it to be. And yeah. so, um, I was—I w- I was fine as a 16-year-old. In fact, I really loved my life as as I had it. Um, but little did I know that there was this whole world sort of waiting for me, um, as I just had this, you know, n- a little nudge uh, in the term of in, in the, you know, five students who spoke Spanish, and then just sort of caused me to to view uh, the world a little bit differently. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. The um, <clears throat> the danger, or ra- rather, the one of the things about about diversity is, you know, big buzzword, right? People are going to hear that, and depending on which way. You know which way you feel about it. You might either roll your eyes, or you might think, "Oh yeah, that's the point." It's like, well, all right. Diversity, as I've seen, you know, is inherent in the creation account in Genesis one and uh, and two. You know, God made a variety of you know plants and animals and and all kinds of things like that. Why? Well, you know, God loved a, a diverse creation that would generate you know a a, a and know, an, an, a, a diverse beauty, you know, in that sort of life giving and, you know, peaceful and, you know, orderly environment, orderly in the sense that it uh, it allowed uh, life to flourish, not orderly in like a tyrannical or author- authoritarian sense. Uh, and so, you know, like diversity, sure. Yeah, of course, it's a good thing. God has, you know, God put that in the pristine created order and the fact that we also see and we see God choosing a family in Genesis 12 but then through that family right you know the diverse nations will be blessed and will come to know through God through that family okay yeah we can we can see how you know not just a bu- buzzword it is it is valuable um obviously it can be corrupted as well right diversity of opinion uh was something that the early church you know, had to deal with sometimes when they said, no, 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 right. The sun's eternal. You know, there wasn't a time when the sun didn't exist. You know, we're coming up on Christmas season and, you know, Arius was the guy who got punched by St. Nicholas. So, you know, there's, there's that anyway. um, So yeah, that, uh, that makes sense to me and the fact that, you know, it's something that we could grow out of, you certainly had opportunities to do that and to teach your students how you've done that. Walk us through after you've, um, you know, and, and as you've been reflecting on these experiences that you've had, just you know, m- exposure to many cultures. You mentioned Zambia earlier, um, obviously you exposure to some uh, Latin American cultures as well through through these students that you've got to spend some time with, of course, in Italy and the U.S. and so on. Tell us kind of how you got to where you felt like um you know travel might be a key component or a key spiritual discipline for um you know for for people to uh, to engage in,
1: yeah. so um, I was twenty four years old and in the midst of my, you know, Theology studies in seminary when uh, Katie and I were asked to direct uh, Harding University in Zambia. And So it's this the way Harding does these programs, and uh, there's some, a semester long, usually about three months, and you you travel together, you live together, you eat together, and you do classes together. And so it's this really sort of sort of holistic way of doing education and life and uh, and travel and um, the the task that. Um, we were sort of I- invited to uh, to to carry out that semester um, was way above sort of like our, our capacity, right? It's not we weren't experts in all of this stuff, and so yeah, yeah just just go and do that. But it was one of these things where um, Katie and I had really prayed for God to close the door if it wasn't the right thing. It was, you know, and then, you know, fast forward. And that was after, you know, weeks and weeks of prayer. And then, you know, we get this approval and this official invitation to go and do this and say, okay, well, I guess we prayed that hard. Um, we we got to say yes. Um, yeah. And so we, we went to Zambia and I had visited for just a few days, a couple years prior, but we really had I had no real sense of, of, um, history from the African continent, um, which I've since, you know, explored way more. Yeah. I had no real sense of, of, um, Zambia, the country, the people, there's 64 official languages spoken within Zambia. Wow. Although English is like the, the, the language that is, you know, um, sort of because of hundred years of, you know, ago of colonization, all these things English is the one spoken language that unites the, the country. Interesting. Okay. Um, and uh, so I just went as a learner. Right. And I, I told my students uh, I was teaching mission anthropology and I was teaching um, a, a couple of other classes. But I said, hey, we're in this place as learners. There's something for us to learn. And there were there were some things to deconstruct there in terms of uh, just the sort of the typical even just I had to convince the, the group of students. There were 26 students that this wasn't a mission trip. <laughs> right? Because we're set up not to go and learn other places. Um, same with, with Peru and other places. We have this mentality, I'm going and I have a mission, right? And I think a starting point for our mission, regardless, is to go and be a learner, right? And so anyway, we were setting setting the stage to go and be learners. But as as I was over there, because of this sharp contrast, uh, this distinct differences between myself and my background, the Zambian people, culture, language, place, um, I, I got this sense that there's something to be learned here about God because I'm encountering a Zambian human made in the image of God. I'm this Weird sort of blend of Italian, US American <laughs> yeah. image reflector of God as well. But in this space, there's something sacred that's happening um, that is here to teach us something about God, um, the world, and who we are within that. And so that was really this sort of seed, this this for me of this thesis I have of um this, this diverse world of gods being a playground for learning and diversity and interaction because. Mm-hmm um god's God's image was never meant to be reflected by just one culture and one language. That's why you yeah. have from the very beginning, humanity created and sent to fill the earth, right? And right. in Jesus yep. one. So at the end of the story, you have the nations, every people, tribe, um language, culture, family, um in God's throne room worshiping. And I believe that worship isn't. One uniform language. I think it's this variety. In fact, it says every language, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It um,
0: specifies yeah, languages. Yeah. Exactly. And so
1: anyway, that that was this sort of beginning point for me. But it is, I think it's worth noting, and this is where it connects with travel, that it was it was the sharp difference um, of culture, this really distinct from Zambian culture to US American culture. That really opened this up for me, right? And really caused me sort of as a mirror to reflect on who I am, my own cultural values, but to see God in this sort of, you know, sacred encounter, uh, cross-culturally, interculturally and, um, and that so that was the starting point. Then I saw it in Italy in a different way. We got to take students. I was born and grew up in Italy, but then we got to take students, and I was a professor in Italy with the Harding group. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my last semester, sort of my seminary studies. And then fast forward years later, we already lived for a few years in Peru when we were offered um, this the the position as directors of Hula, Harding's Latin America program. and um, and so that's what I've started to to sort of develop and really lean into. Yeah. Um, now, if, if we want to talk a little bit about how that's a spiritual practice, that I'd I'd love to because that's what I did my
0: yeah. recent project on. Yeah, uh, I'm study. I'm interested to know. All right, and uh, you know, it if it makes sense to to go this route with it, that's fine. If not, then let's let's workshop this a little bit. Um, as you have seen, students go through. These international programs as you yourself have experienced what you've experienced and i I would assume in dialoguing with you know other people close to you is there like a is there like a typical step-by-step process not not a prescriptive process all right where you have to do step one and then you have to go to step two but like is there a descriptive pattern of development that you know when you when you see your students come or you know as you were presenting this uh, theology of travel. You know, like your students come with x set of presuppositions or expectations or things like that and then they experience these things and then that leads them to you know, kind of you know question x and accept y and be in doubt about z and then they go from there and gradually build something stronger like is there is there some kind of typical pattern or process that they go through it, does that even make sense so I'm I'm
1: sure if you read my um, methodology chapter in this dissertation that I did, there, there's got to be some of that built in because even just the <laughs> yeah. the process requires some of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um So uh, sort of, and okay. and here's what what I would say is that there's this sort of baseline starting point where. Um, and I believe probably God, God's spirit creates this spark as well. But I think part of what it means to be human is to be to be fully human is to be a learner. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, we, if we're not open, if we're not at least open to learning something through the encounter, through travel, through study of, of different places and people and cultures and history, um, then we may not get it. So So there's this there's yeah. this starting point of um, recognizing there's something to learn. And I tell my students, this This is class day one, I say, hey, I was late to the game. Like I had, you were in college, you, Kevin, were already studying history, right? I had no desire to learn history until I was in seminary. And I, was, I, I took a, my first church history class and I thought, this is fascinating. And now I would just, I just eat history. Up. Now yeah. I teach history as part of the, the Latin American humanities. And I said, listen, some of you are there for it. Others, you know, you, you have, you have no desire to learn history, but let me tell you why I think there's something to learn here from right from, from my experience. So there's yeah. the starting point of being willing to learn. Um, Richard Rohr and others have talked about um, these liminal spaces, um, liminal meaning the, these threshold moments of our life and recognize like a that,
0: transitional.
1: Yeah, and period, a, lot of right, cultures, yeah. a lot of cultures have like these cultural initiation rites and things so that's a lot of studies and it's not original to roar there's others yeah, yeah. before and doing studies on these initiation rites. But recognizing that in our us american culture we don't have many of those sort of formal threshold moments right mm-hmm. but um going off to college is one and then yeah. if, if that the subset of those who go off to college and then choose to study abroad say in my context in this christian university um, with this rich, um, and just to connect one more dot, my grandfather, um, 40 plus years ago started the international programs at Harding. And so there's this, you know, this further yeah, connection neat. in terms of uh, mm-hmm. family history and how special it is to, to get, to be a part of that. Um, but th- they talk about, um, these liminal moments as voluntary displacement, right? Voluntary mm-hmm. displacement for the sake of growth and transformation. Yeah. And um, study abroad is, by definition, this voluntary displacement, choosing to physically go from one place to another. Mm -hmm. Um, But now this, for the sake of transformation, isn't always clear. Some people just want to go have a good time or take great pictures, right? Right. So I'm trying to lean into this voluntary displacement for the sake of of, of growth and formation. And um, the fact that they would go and choose to to learn in a different place uh, from a different people is this other piece of the puzzle, right, that at least I'm leaning into um, as we as we continue
0: on?: Yeah, yeah. I really like this idea, Jeremy, of of us God creating us to be learners. That's something that I've been I've been tuned on for a couple of years now. Um, I think I think Adam and Eve, as they're as they're presented there in Genesis one, I, I, I don't think it's I mean it's not stated explicitly. But I think it's implied in the text. Adam and Eve were intended to learn how and grow into who they, who God wanted them to be. I don't know that they were created and had, you know, all of the fully functioning capabilities of a rational adult who could, for example, hear what a snake in the garden was telling them and then say, you know, I'm not going to do that because X, Y, and Z will probably happen if I disobey. I think it was clear they were supposed to learn obedience. And in the process of learning obedience, right? The garden that is within Eden, the two are not synonymous. The text is clear about that. We tend to talk about them as if they're synonymous, but the garden is within Eden. I think that as they continue to learn obedience and grow in, uh, in 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 fidelity to God and grow in knowledge of God I think that was going to be what was going to expand the borders of the garden the garden being that hot spot of God's presence on earth and then that gradually would be how that they were supposed to you know, sort of fill and subdue the earth you know rule and have dominion over it and and so on so I th- yeah, I think that 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 makes sense that learning there is implied Their their um mandate to learn was is implied there in, in genesis i don't I don't know if you do anything with that in your work but that makes sense to me at least
1: yeah i love that and i, I was going to ask if you know cuz that's where i start my theology of travel my sort of what there. I've loved and my playground based on another you know former professor john fortner the the best I think to this day, the best sort of theology class I've ever had, um, where we spent, it was supposed to be this advanced introduction to the old Testament. And we spent a month in Genesis one to three, another month. And so, (laughs) um, but I I have been developing, I know this gets, as we do theology somewhat controversial, but I, I talk about God as learner in this, in Genesis one, God, obviously God omniscient, right. And, um, uh, god but god is depicted in genesis one is you know is speaking and is creating but god is also seeing separating evaluating right there's all these things that god is doing that it's almost as if god creating something doing something new is taking the time to sort of to evaluate it to say this is good and then you know, in the next chapter god will say this is not good right yeah. and there's so um obviously God can have something else sort of going on but in um in Genesis 2 um God is looking for this solution for the the human problem of uh loneliness right mm-hmm. and God it's almost like experimenting and failing and again take all this with a with a grain of salt <laughs> the language that I'm using but God is you yeah. know bringing all these animals before Adam and uh, before the human and it's it's um it's not working right and then and then God creates um, a woman, right? Anyway, but then fast forward to the next chapter and the woman um, and the, this moment where both human beings, right, and the text is clear that both human beings are there hearing this conversation with the snake, with this tree, um, They uh, she sees and evaluates. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's this part, she's, there's this part of um, reflecting God's image, this human vocation to to bear the divine image, Um that she's exercising, and of course, like of course fails or makes a wrong decision, right? I mean, like and, and we see where that goes. but my my professor John Fortner would say that just being in the realm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was giving off some sort of moral and ethical capacity that then was sort of fulfilled or consummated in the eating of the fruit, right and then they you know they move on into the world as as moral ethical creatures. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, all that to say, sorry, you just got me excited about Genesis 1, 2, 3, <laughs> yeah. but I, I do think we ought to go back to those chapters. And there's so much that those early chapters of, of the story are doing to set up this world with this inherent capacity to teach. Mm-hmm. And the God who is willing to enter that and learn, right, uh, experience, if we don't want to say God learns, experience at least and truly experience alongside human beings what this new thing is, and I think that's what makes some of what this learning process uh, sacred
0: yeah, yeah, I'll admit learn uh learn makes me a little uncomfortable, but because I know you i I, I know uh I, I know what you're intending to say, and um I like how I, I i do I do think it's fair to say that God will uh in especially Genesis one in both Genesis one and two. That God will set back, and it almost does look like He is seeing and perceiving how things are going. And like you said, evaluating where you know, like he says, All right, this is good. And that is kind of his seal of approval of okay, this is operating as it should be. These spaces are as they should be, these occupants are behaving as they should, and so forth. Um, yeah, I I see what you mean there. You know, learning. You know, the open theists who listen to this are going to be all about it. (laughs) You know, I don't know about other people, but you know, anyway, I I appreciate that, and that does at least, you know, help us see once again another way in which we are God's commissioned representatives. You know, we are created in the image of God, and so forth. Uh, Walk us through some other things, right? You know, why is it that travel, in particular, is so valuable for this uh for this process of of spiritual learning and 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 growing
1: so i i'm not positive on, on this but i think i coined a term okay and this this nice this is what I, that's sort of the the basis yeah. of my of my project is intercultural spiritual formation okay all right um, and i maybe it's out there. And again, so I wasn't trying to, you know, steal anyone's work. I did Google those, like those specific terms. And there was like, you know, just crickets, like nothing in those sort of (laughs) combinations. Nobody's random blog showed up. Um, So it's intercultural. Intercultural spiritual formation. And it's this type of the spirits forming work in us, where this is just how I, I defined it. And again, like, you PhD guys, I know, are like um, you know, really thoughtful and methodological starting and like- with
0: the <laughs> heavy generalizations there, you you people.
1: <laughs> no, I, I say all this to say, like, I'm not saying what I'm about to give is the best or only definition, but at sure, some point yeah. you have to get the work done, right? Yeah. And so it's this the spirits forming work, right, in this diverse world, um, where your awareness of God um, and a, awareness of God's diverse world. Uh, results in this increased capacity to know God and um to know know and love your neighbor, right? So it's this, it's this um connection with, you know, this spiritual formation, the spirit's forming work in in your life, but at this with this intercultural component. And if you if you think that's a stretch, just read the book of Acts, okay? Yeah. Um, where the spirit's forming work is doing so much to cross cultures and to um to to make uh, the the message known in different language groups Acts two with Pentecost Acts ten right with this journey uh, across cultures what um, Rick Oster would say is to the ends of the earth and reaching out to a a, a Gentile and there Acts and the eight, Jew it, and Samaritan it, right yeah, yeah so the the spirits forming work that's what the Spirit of God does yeah. right and and so it's it's saying that as as we travel and if what I've said with my students is travel alone isn't enough because there's plenty of plenty of travel happens and, sure. and not much formation happens. Okay, yeah. but it's this travel um, combined with theological reflection. And mm-hmm. what I what I ask my students to do through this humanities class that they take and through uh, the Bible class that is sort of a theological counterpart to this class is to reflect theologically about the god in whose world we are traveling right and so as we're learning about peruvian history and as we're uh, traveling to you know argentina and to chile um we're we're asking questions about um god as we you know learn about culture and we learn the language and we interact with the history and food and share life with people right and so um it's it's so it's this uh, growth that we experience. So yeah. if if intercultural spiritual formation happens, it's this growth this growth we experience through this increased awareness of God and the diversity of God's world, and it it should result in loving God more, but also loving our neighbor more. And I'm I want to really lean into this diverse global neighbor, which. Yeah. Is all around us just like it was in Acts 10 oh yeah you don't have to go anywhere to love your diverse global neighbor they um the ends of the earth are right here with us just like mm-hmm. they were for peter and cornelius and the book um well i don't have it actually i have an ebook but another from the author but if we're writing any books down and show notes or anything it's uh, it's been a long time since i've read a commentary cover to cover but it was uh, dr willie jennings um theological commentary on the book of acts that really develops sort of this thesis. And if you just want to read two chapters from it, read, you know, his work on, on acts two and then acts 10. And it's this sort of, it's beautiful um, in terms of the, this, the spirits work and joining and connecting across the table um, and, and through language interaction with culture.
0: Yeah. I, I have never thought about this before until just now. And so I appreciate the generative discussion That we're having um i suspect paul the apostle paul probably would not have um would not have gained such um such an ability to translate the gospel cross-culturally if he had not uh, if he had not gone on so many trips across the mediterranean but Paul's ability there to speak to issues in places as, as uh, you know, foreign to him as a place like Ephesus, mm-hmm. and places as um, as Roman as Philippi, places as um, as cosmopolitan as Corinth, and um, you know, places as as historic as as Rome itself. At least you know, in terms of his letter. Um, his his diverse his experiences with uh you know diverse cultures and cities and places like that i i can absolutely see how that those experiences gave him what he needed to be able to translate the gospel in in meaningful ways to um to people in all of um all these different walks of life that he encountered yeah that makes sense that's not a not a novel <laughs> not a novel observation, but that I can see how all right that happened to Paul probably on on a smaller scale that might happen to me or you or anyone else who you know mm-hmm. reflects theologically on their uh, experiences where in some way or another they're they're crossing cultures, yeah right. And yeah.
1: and definitely, you know, I want to say this, because um, we give this sort of like glamour and privilege to travel. And, and it's a given getting to, I, and I tell my students, lean into this and soak it up for all it's worth, because you're within this small percentage in, in the world that gets to go to university, and mm-hmm. the even smaller subset where you get to study abroad. So, you know, um, use it, soak it up for all it's worth, right, in terms of this learning potential. But um, you don't, Always get to choose when you travel, right? And there's millions of immigrants worldwide who, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, who don't often don't have a choice, or there's other factors at work in pushing them out. And what I what I would say there is that, in in a sense, um, this also that's also the story of of our of our Bible um mm-hmm. God chooses an immigrant family Abraham and Sarah and says go. Right. <laughs> so if yeah. you read those little details at the end of Genesis 11 they're immigrants and they got stuck sort of on their way somewhere else and God's going to start out this new um it's not a new mission but this new way of extending God's blessing to um all you know um all the families of the earth and it's uh, it starts out with this command to go <laughs> right so yeah. it's, so it's mm-hmm. all this to say that even in In all sorts of of people movements and whether it's travel by choice, uh, there's immigration, whether it's it's loving our immigrant neighbor, whatever that is, there is space for the spirits forming work um, to be done to um, form you and to form the person that you're encountering with because that's the type of world
0: that um, God has created. Yes, sir. Jeremy, as we uh, close here this morning, I want to say thank you so much for uh, for the conversation. Really enjoyed getting to hear about what you're doing. Um, I'm feeling more convicted to ask my elders for a larger travel budget. Uh, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, that um, you know it 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 helps me see that um, that there is is more value than what I may have thought. In um, in any time that there's any sort of interaction with someone who's um, whose culture is somehow different from mine, and I don't think that that necessarily means that they have to look different from me either, right? Um, that exactly. they can and you know, they can just be from a different place here in the U.S. or or something along those lines. Um, Ramp as we wrap up here, could you give us maybe a couple of practical steps, like what is something that I could do? To you know, be a little bit more sensitive to the kinds of things that you talked to us about. Or, in addition to the couple of things that you've already mentioned, the book by Michael Frost, the theological commentary on Acts by Willie Jennings, are there maybe a, a, another book or two that you might recommend that might help us kind of gain some sensitivity towards these things?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I don't want to give any spoilers for future Faith in the Folds episodes, um, but there may be a future uh, in a future episode. Another mentor of ours speaking about this uh, a, a specific context of things going on in our world right now, yeah, and yeah. It includes um, suffering and hurt, and there's um, sort of racism, cultural difference gone wrong. Right. And so mm-hmm. none of this, um, turns, uh, you know, is turning away from the real hurt and challenge in our world. Right. And so, um, after, um, the, the attacks of September 11th in 2001, um, rabbi, the late rabbi, uh, Jonathan Sachs wrote this book called the dignity of difference. Mm. And within that he raises these questions, um, And and this is, I think, just sort of a starting point for anyone that wants to, you know, take some steps uh, along this path of intercultural spiritual formation. But he asks, can we make space for difference? Can we hear the voice of God in a language, a sensibility, a culture, not our own? Can we see the presence of God in the face of a stranger, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was more than twenty years ago that he Mm -hmm. he wrote this. But his desire was to, in the face of tragedy, um, which was caused in a sense by some of these religious and cultural differences historically can we come together? Can we as people of faith make space for difference and see God in one who is so different from us, whether it be, you know, looking different or whether it be culturally or linguistically or whatever. And so, um, yeah, uh, that that book in itself, or even just like the first couple of chapters is, is a worthy, especially in terms of um, now, in twenty twenty three um and, and the conflict, right, with Israel and palestine and mm-hmm. um, and and those difficulties. um but also um then taking a step to um maybe uh, what I would say to my students, reading a history book or inviting someone to your table. Or um, deciding, even though you know, with machine learning and uh, language translation, more languages than ever are going to be more accessible to us. Um, taking the taking the opportunity to start learning another language because it forces you through this sort of humbling process of um, viewing someone um, through the the lens of, of their own language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it they, they can be little things, right? They can They can be um, um, little things that sort of start us off in um, in in this journey. And um, it's not all about just travel, you know, geographically. Yeah. Um, but becoming aware of the the wonder and all around us in God's world. and even whether it's nature, whether it's other human beings, um it's it's this um this invitation right to to learn from god and god's world and to grow as, as people and uh, i think we can all be learners um do that a little bit better i know that's been a long journey for myself and i'm still i'm still growing as a learner
0: yeah jeremy thank you for your time sir appreciate you joining us on faith in the folds so glad to be here thanks so much kevin yeah take care